Hello, and thank you for joining us here at Where Am I To Go podcast. Before we start our show today, there's a couple things I would like to bring to your attention. First of all, we have a Facebook page where we post lots of pictures of places we've been and things that we've done, and also other little things that people might be interested in knowing. We also have an email address at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. If anybody has any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about our program, please let us know. I'm more than interested in hearing comments, feedback, and that type of stuff, and it will also help to make a better show. And lastly, we are on Patreon. If anybody's interested in joining us there and helping us along with our adventures, we would be more than happy to have your assistance. Now, thanks again for joining us today, and let's get on with the show. Today I was driving down the road through Burnett, Texas, and as I was going through, off to my right-hand side, there's a great big sign that says Motorcycle Museum. Almost didn't get myself slowed down fast enough in order to get here. But I came on in to take a look around, and I met up with Pat. And Pat said that we could do a podcast here, so here's where we are, and this is what we're going to do today. Thank you, Pat, for taking the time with us today. Well, thanks for you guys dropping by. It's nice to meet you, and uh, we're excited to show you the museum. Well, I just, took a information. Quick, I just took a quick sneak peek. This looks like it's going to be quite the, the entertaining museum. Now, when you first walk into this museum, they've got a bunch of T-shirts, a couple of motorcycles on display, and uh, his wife was here and, and was pointing out several different pictures. It looks to me like you got started on the, in the motorcycle uh, entertainment or, or business or whatever when you were just a young kid. That's correct. Uh, actually, my dad, back in El Paso, Texas, he was in the Army, and he planted the seed with my brother Mike and I on motorcycles. Uh, he had a uh, Cushman scooter that he rode to base and back for work. And uh, my brother and I both believe that that's what set the hook in us to this day. A Cushman scooter. Maybe. You, do you have one of those in here? I do. We you got do. a couple. Those are pretty cool. There's a, there's a guy that uh, lives in our town that has one that every once in a while and once or twice a year you might see him riding his little Cushman scooter to town. They were real popular back then. They were affordable. Made in America. They had basically a a big, um, almost like a lawnmower motor in them. Right. So they were easy to work on, maintain. So, And they're very collectible now. Yes, they are. I've seen them in, in several different museums, and, and I've, I've seen prices on some of them, and they seem to be very collectible. So anyway, we walk on in here, and we happen to see about the first bike I ever rode on, which is a Honda 175, and it's sitting here on display, kind of picked my interest a little bit, because that's what I rode when I was in high school, and, and uh, it's sitting right here. 
And then across the way we have a Suzuki. It's a 70, what is it? A 71 uh, was a, what's called a TS-90, a 90cc, and it's an exact replica of my original race bike from back in 1971. So you used to be a motocross racer? Correct, for about 10 years. For about 10 years? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So you rode a lot of the backcountry here in Texas? Well, not in this area, actually. We're, right now, we're in central Texas. Okay. okay. What we call the hill country, which is the prettiest part of Texas. It is. This, this area has, is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, but I was actually uh, raised in El Paso, Texas. My dad was at Fort Bliss in the Army. And so we were more uh, desert type of riders. Okay. Sand, a lot of sand. And a whole different scene than right here, but yeah. Now, were you riding the endurance type races, or were you riding more uh, motocross track, or yeah, motor, mostly motocross. But I raced cross country, enduros, pretty much anything that was on two wheels. That gets kind day. of grueling, doesn't it? Those long endurance races, or yes, yeah, they you go for hours, actually as fast as you can go, and. And uh, they were a lot of fun, though. Uh, you you still see them every now and then, uh, like you heard of the like the Baja One Thousand. Right. Uh, that's kind of the extreme version of what I used to do. Ours were like a hundred miles. That's still a long time sitting <laughs> on a bike. Going eighty, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Out across the desert, yeah. That's got to be that's got to be kind of entertaining anyway, because you never know what's in front of you. That's the thing is. Uh, you, uh, there's always a surprise around every corner, so uh, that's what kind of made it more thrilling than motocross. You got to practice on the motocross track, so you knew what each turn, but the off-road was, uh, to me, was more fun, actually. And now the bikes you were riding at the time are nothing like the bikes now. I mean, they've got the monoshocks, and they've got all the... the suspension upgrades and all that kind of stuff to where those those older bikes were a little bit rougher ride weren't they yeah uh they were uh well comparing to what we have today absolutely but back then we thought we were riding the latest and greatest you know it's just basically um what the technology is at the time and uh but looking back um it was uh, we're lucky to have survived i guess <laughs> <laughs> you watch those old movies like on any Sunday, and uh, those guys were doing some what you would have considered wild stuff at the time, but now it seems like when you're watching the guys just out riding, a lot of those guys are able to do what was difficult then. Just And I'm figuring it's just because technology with the bikes has changed so much, but maybe that's not it. No, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things, but uh, it's I personally think it's the bikes are, they have a lot better suspension these days, and that's the, that's the main thing. They handle so well. Um, that's why they make these tracks so rough and with these triple jumps and all that. We, there's no way we could have done that because the landing would have been <laughs> probably fatal <laughs> back in the day, and uh, there's no way we could have done flips and stuff with those bikes uh, the way they're the way they're doing now. And now they get to practice, you know, and jump into these 
foam pits and stuff like that. Whereas us, if we tried something like that, you either you know, probably live or, <laughs> live or die, maybe. Rock pits weren't quite as comfortable to land in? Probably not. I didn't try it, though. <laughs> Nobody did, unless it was accident. Okay. And then up here you've got, of course, Evil Knievel doing a wheelie. you got a picture of Evil Knievel. Uh, and, and what motorcycle museum wouldn't be complete without Evil Knievel somehow or another? You got to have that because, um, well, first of all, I'm a big fan, and you'll see here in the museum that uh, we've got a couple of that same model of motorcycle that he, he used to jump on oh, really? here, so I can explain a little bit to you. But um, yeah, Evil Knievel was, I, w I would think, worldwide. If he's probably the most identifiable motorcyclist ever, no matter where you go. Like I travel internationally with our business quite a bit, and no matter where I go, I'll ask somebody, "Who do you? Can you mention a name of an American motorcyclist that you can think of?" Everybody, even in China, goes, "Evil Knievel." <laughs> so it's amazing. And there again, he was riding some old school stuff, but, but he was doing pretty amazing things at the time with what he had. That's why he crashed so much, so was jumping that uh, Harley XR750. It's heavy and had about four inches of travel. So he, Oh man, his landings had to be rough. He was a, a brave soul, that guy, but he's amazing. Okay, now as, as we're coming here into the actual museum part, we start off with a simplex automatic motorcycle. Tell me a little bit about that. It's, it's old. Yeah, uh, I believe, yeah, it's a 1957 simplex made in New Orleans, of all places. Oh, really? Yeah, they were one of the few American motorcycle manufacturers back in the day. Most of them had already gone out of business. Like By, by the time they made this, uh, Indian was already out of business, is mainly... Uh, Probably just uh, Simplex and Harley-Davidson. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, Simplex isn't around anymore. No, they threw the towel in in the early 60s. Um, but they were in business for about 30 years, which is okay. a long run uh, for a motorcycle manufacturer. So now we come into the come into the big part of the museum, or, or the showroom, I guess is what you'd say. It looks to me like you've got, what, 100 motorcycles in here? In the whole place, I think we have a hundred, about 120. About 120. Yeah. And you were saying earlier when I came in that you cover mostly the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, not. Uh, it's mainly 60s and 70s, um, but then we have a few older, a few newer here, um, like that right behind you. Yeah, this one's definitely older. It's a 1910 Harley Davidson. But if you look at the sign there it's a reproduction oh okay it's an amazing reproduction uh running to scale replica of a 1910 harley davidson and when um, was this reproduction made i've owned it for probably about 10 years okay here and uh, uh it's they're made actually in georgetown texas which is only about a 45 minutes from here oh really and they're still making them oh yeah yeah oh wow uh, mostly for museums and collectors, because they're nothing you would ride on the street. Right. So, uh, but the the real ones are just not affordable. You know, something something like this brand, uh, uh, or an original 1910 would 
probably worth sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. And then you've got an Indian over here. Tell us a little bit about the Indians. Well, um, every museum, every motorcycle museum has to have an Indian in here. This is a forty-seven Indian chief, roadmaster. Um, it's restored, but it was restored about twenty-five years ago, and um, it's absolutely beautiful. I love the maroon color. It's a um, very iconic bike for Indian. In Indian enthusiasts all like to see that bike, and uh, it's just really beautiful. And the, it is beautiful. Yeah, and everybody likes to exhibit with uh, the big uh, statue of Chief Motorhead. <laughs> Chief Motorhead. <laughs> That's what we named Indian him. here. <laughs> yes. And now the Indian motorcycle. You said they went out of business before 1957. I believe 54. 54. 54 is. Uh, when they went out of business and then later on that decade i think another company maybe out of uk or somewhere acquired the name okay and then they started putting the indian name on a lot of different bikes but it didn't really fool the american public okay uh, they didn't really accept a foreign made bike with the indian name on it well, some of those bikes have started coming back, like Norton. Uh, didn't they go out of business and, and then reintroduce here 10, 12 years ago or something? <clears throat> Excuse me, yes. Uh, they went out of business in the 70s, along with the other British manufacturers. I think uh, Triumph went out of business in the early 80s. And they're making Triumphs again, though, right? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, such great bikes, too. The Triumphs, um, they compete toe-to-toe -to -toe with, you know, with all the Japanese companies. They're, they're amazing what they've done with that. But the Norton, uh, yeah, they brought back, back, back that name, um, and it's just, but it's more of a specialty, special order okay. kind of thing. But, yeah, it's nice to see those names come back. And uh, we've been reading that... Uh, the largest motorcycle manufacturer in the world is in India. Oh, really? Yes, and um, they make some of the um, Harley bikes, from what I understand, the smaller ones, and they make them for different manufacturers. But they also bought the the BSA okay. name, and supposedly they're going to be coming out with replicas of the original 60s and early 70s BSAs, like they have the Royal Enfield. Okay. See, the Royal Enfields have been made in India for a couple decades now. Okay. I've got a friend that collects the BSAs, and, and he's got several of them, and they're super sharp-looking bikes. They're my favorite British bike, actually, a BSA. Um, they're all pretty, but the BSAs, I just always like them better. Okay, then we come on in, and we're looking at a display of your uh, flat track racing bikes. Is that what we're looking at here? Yes. Mm -hmm. And we've got seven or eight. You've got BSAs, Hondas, Harley-Davidson. And explain the flat race just for people that don't really know what it is. Well, it's, it's uh, generally just racing on a dirt oval, a clay track, or... Um, some other type of sur uh, gravel surface where it's just mainly turning to the left, kind of like the NASCAR oval tracks. And they kind of do a drift on all of their corners, don't they? 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I've watched different videos of it, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch just because they're kind of in a drift for for most of their ride. And sometimes at 120 miles an hour. That's insane. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, uh, those guys and three side by side with three bikes, too. It's it's without a doubt the most dangerous form of motorcycle racing is flat track. Wow. But it's to me, it's also the most exciting to watch. Oh yeah. Too. They're really they really go fast, and those guys are amazing. So we have uh, some bikes here. Uh, probably the most iconic flat track bike ever is the Harley Davidson XR750. Now, was that the one that you were saying that you said the 750 is what Evil Knievel rolled? He did. Is it's the same bike, all except set up different? Same bike, probably set up about the same. This is this one right here? It doesn't. The one in the pictures of him look no different than this bike right here, except it had the American flag paint job. Wow. So I think the factory provided him with a bike just like this, and they put their own uh, paint job on there, I believe. Huh. Yeah. So you can see it's not some lightweight dirt bike they, he was jumping. No. You know, that thing probably weighs about 300 pounds or more. Probably and, more. And it's amazing yeah. the distances that he, was, that he was riding over, you know. I mean, what was it, 21 Greyhound buses or... Yeah, I don't I don't know what the math is. I think he was jumping maybe around 200 feet back then, to a little more. Um now uh there's a young guy from Australia, Robbie Madison, that I think he jumps about almost 400 feet. Wow. And Evil <laughs> can evil sons jumping too. Well, he's already retired. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's <laughs> He, Dang, where's time gone? I, would think, I guess I was I was like 10 years old when I was watching Evil Knievel on TV doing some of his stunts. A lot of times passed. Uh, oh, I think man. his son's in his 50s now, so wow. I don't think he's doing that anymore. And then uh, we've got a couple other really interesting flat trap bikes. Uh, young guy from Lubbock, Texas, Bubba Schobert, was the Grand National Champion of... Uh, off-road, not motocross, it was flat track and TT. Uh, you had to have multiple skills back then. You had to road race, TT, and flat track. And what is TT? It's, it, has, it has partial flat track, but then it has a couple turns in it and some jumps. Okay. So it's just a combination of... It's, it's probably what we had... Back in the 50s and 60s, before they called it motocross, they called it scrambles back then. Okay. So it's it's more like that. Uh, so, but we are really fortunate to have his restored uh, bike that he won the the TT races for three years on, and um, that's a one-off bike right there. It's been loaned to us by a guy out in uh, Midland, Texas, that's got an incredible collection of uh, racing bikes with history. Wow. We even have some of his trophies there. And he was riding, it says, uh, between 85 and 87, mm -hmm. and it's a 600cc bike. Yeah, that's for TT, because it was lighter, but on the flat track, um, there was, they, he rode a 750 Honda Twin, called the RS750, and 
that bike, um, Honda totally dominated. It was always won by Harley Davidson for decades. Honda, as soon as they got in it, they had some of the better riders and they won every year until um, word had it that Harley Davidson was at a disadvantage because they were running uh, this pushrod mo motor. So what they did was they changed the, they put some restrictions in there to give the Hondas a little bit of a disadvantage. <laughs> and, and at that time, Mr. Honda goes, ah, that's it for us. We proved our point. Right. But um, Bubba Schobert, um, he, was, he was absolutely amazing. And then his career ended, um, sadly, um, at Laguna Seca, I believe, the road race out there in California. Okay. And um, had an accident on the, there, and it uh, ended his racing career. But, you know, he's still doing good and, and still around and... And uh, still in Lubbock, Texas. Well, cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we got a 72 BSA 750. And what's the Goodyear bike? That is a Yamaha 750. Um, it was raced by a guy named Frank Gillespie out of California. Very successful racer. His specialty was the mile race, which was the real fast one. And... Uh, this was his actual bike that was restored years ago. And um, so that's got a lot of race history. Back then, the, the dominant bikes were the Harley XRs and the British bikes, the Triumph and the BSAs. And then Yamaha got in it. And guess who started winning so much after that? It, it became Harley Davidson and Yamaha after a while okay yeah so anyway the japanese definitely made their mark early on in racing okay then we turn around and we see some uh well we see a drag bike a harley davidson drag bike uh how fast was that thing going uh i believe it did in the nines but it's a it's a factory bike and uh, Harley made them. It's called the Destroyer. They made them, uh, let me see, this is a 2006. Uh, this one's brand new. It's never been started. Really? Yeah. It's a beautiful bike. It's a very beautiful bike. It was very radical. Uh, it was really a, unusual for Harley Davidson to make a out-of-the-box um, race bike. Okay. But um, I don't think they have made... Uh, the, this is the probably the last... Uh, out of the box race bike Harley will ever make right here. <laughs> so uh, it's amazing. They sound amazing. I've heard them. I'll bet. Mm -hmm. And then you've got another one here that's a hand built custom chopper with a custom paint job. It's a beautiful bike. Isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's uh, that was built back in the mid 2000s. When the big, uh, the, in the 90s, in the mid, uh, early 2000s, you know, they had the big chopper craze. You probably right. remember all the oh, TV yeah. shows, oh, yeah. American Chopper, Jesse James. Uh, everybody and their brother had a build a chopper show. And uh, this was one of those bikes that was built back in the day. My brother actually built it. And, uh, oh, your brother built and this And loaned one. it 
to the museum. Yeah, that, his company used to be the largest manufacturer of uh, custom forks. Oh, really? Uh, for the custom bikes, yeah. So. Well, and that's um, all a kickback to the 60s when all the hippies were riding choppers. Hell, well, probably yeah. not hippies. Hell's, Hell's Angels. Angels. <laughs> Some of the more radicals, the hippies. The hippies were driving the vans. Yeah, <laughs> or thumbing. I got kind yeah. of a dirty look when I said the hippies were riding the bikes. He, he yeah. kind of looked at me with a little bit of a sour look. <laughs> I was going to say. So, so we got we to gotta, we gotta backtrack on that one real quick. I'm, yeah. showing, my, I'm showing my truth. No, movies. I'm sure there were, were plenty, of, plenty of hippies riding choppers back then. But I'll tell you a little bit about this paint job on this chopper. It's 19 layers and 19 layers of graphics in there. So they really? put, a, put a layer and then they finish it and then they paint another layer so all these graphics you see on here are stacked on top of each other here and then what they did and we always uh, when the kids come in here we tell them to look for all the skulls uh -huh. in here and uh, when the light shine on it they there's about 300 little skulls really embedded in the paint job at different levels and um Oh yeah, it's incredible paint job. I, I can't imagine how much it cost, but it took months to paint this bike. Wow, that's unbelievable that you'd have that many layers. Yeah, that's the that's what I've been told. I see one. Do you? Right there. Okay. Well, they're all over the place. You can. Yeah, they are. Yeah, you can see them a lot back on the fender because it's. Uh, flat. They're really ghosty. Yeah. I mean, you gotta yeah. you gotta really look for them. Yeah, there's one right there. Oh, yeah. See? Yeah, so, yeah, they're all over the place on this bike. On the fenders, the side covers. Uh, the guy that painted it was absolutely amazing. This is something that, some, that people need to see because this is just way cool. Yeah, it's hard to describe, really. It, well, yeah, you, I don't know how you would describe it. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> a basic uh, kind of a maroony type red, but it's got all kinds of graphics through here with... Uh, uh, black and white plaids and gears on on yellow ribbons and just yeah. phenomenal bike yeah very creative and then you've got a couple of the old school choppers back here yeah the triumph and a and a honda 750 1970 honda and a 1967 triumph yes those are uh those are very cool back in the day People turned just about any kind of bike they could into a chopper. Choppers were big back in the late 60s, early 70s. And what was really popular was the Honda 750s. There were several uh, manufacturers of frames for those. Oh, really? One of the most popular was the company that made this one, a company called uh, Denver's Choppers out of California. Uh, Denver um, made a lot of different choppers. He made Harleys. Triumphs, but um, you're probably most known for the, the Honda 750s. Wow. There, so uh, that's a, a very cool bike. It is. And then the Triumph here is uh, a 650 Bonneville motor, hardtail. Uh, that is just so typical old school, um, late 60s right there. And uh, you can see the, um, the seat. Uh, you probably remember what they called that seat back in the day. You're going to have to tell me. St 
It's a bitch seat. A bitch seat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you can see that would have been a little bit scary because uh, there's no foot pegs on there for the passenger. I don't know how the heck they hung on. Uh, but it's got a beautiful pearlescent paint job. You take it outside and uh, it changes colors, pink, purple, different colors. And then uh, whoever had it did an amazing job in hand engraving oh, the, yes. the side covers on there. Uh, whoever did it was very talented. Yes. Spent a lot of time on there. They're but both beautiful bikes. It's uh, Yeah, and I like them because they're unusual. I, I, I love Harley choppers too, but you got to appreciate the old school originals. And then around this museum, just to let everybody know, that he's got all kinds of posters and pictures of uh, flat track racers. He's got uh, guys riding old motorcycles. Here's a guy that looks like he's going to have a wipeout pretty bad. Uh, just lots of different bikes, lots of different pictures of, of scenes and stuff that uh, would have been taking place during the the races and and road trips and some of that picture of Jimi hendrix sitting on a bike uh i don't know who the other two are indian larry indian larry yeah he's real pop real famous in the motorcycle custom motorcycle industry he he passed uh several years back but um his matter of fact his last uh two two bikes i think just sold his estate sold them at the Mecham auction in Vegas this last January, and I think they went together probably in the neighborhood of about 400000 Holy smokes. Yeah, I'm, at best I can remember. Maybe off a little bit. The other guy's just a, a really cool picture of a probably a Hell's Angel uh, from back in the day on a panhead, okay. early panhead chopper. So I just thought that picture was cool and put it up. And then you've got a... A Honda drag bike, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's um, probably one of the rarest bikes in the museum. It's a double-engine Honda it is. dragster. Yeah, uh, built by RC Engineering, uh, who was Russ Collins. And uh, he was most famous uh, for building a triple-engine dragster back in the day. That was streamlined, and he was actually about the fastest man in the world on drag racing back in the day. Now when he's talking about double engine on this, we're, we're looking at a bike that's blue, has Honda written across the, the top part of the frame, but he's got two engines. They're two four-cylinder engines. One sits a little bit higher than the other. Uh, how do they connect those to where they run together right? With belts or chains or...? Yeah, the, they have a chain between them from what I understand. Um, I'm not, this is on loan to us. Well, you can see it. Actually, sorry, I lied. It's oh, okay. a belt. It is There's a belt. a picture of the belt between them. Yeah. Seems like that'd be a real challenge to get the two of those engines timed together to where they were running perfect to complement each other. Yeah, it, it had to be an incredible feat, but uh, they were the best. They were the best in the world at the time, and uh, they... I don't know, have you heard of the company Vance & Hines? No, I have not. Okay, well, they're the ones who have been building all the Harley race bikes for years. And uh, they're the largest, probably, manufacturer of custom exhaust and performance parts for Harleys, Indians. Uh, 
So there, um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners that knows a lot about uh, the bikes will know the names uh, Terry Vance and Byron Hines. They were actually uh, his Russ Collins parts manager and chief engineer back in the day for okay. RC Engineering. And then they went off on their own and started Vance and Hines probably at least thir- probably 30 years ago. And um, extremely successful company. It's a really big company. And they do all the performance R&D for Harley-Davidson. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, a little bit of history there. Yeah. I used to ride bikes a lot when I was in high school in my early 20s and some of that. And I've been out of it other than looking, you know, I mean, when Sturgis comes through Wyoming, <laughs> uh, you get to see lots of pretty bikes and, and that kind of stuff. But there again, most of those are Harley. So uh, I really don't have a lot of knowledge on, on a lot of these bikes just because I haven't kept up with the industry and and that. But I, I love looking at them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You've got a display here looks like mostly triumphs you've got a moto guzzi and a indian and a bsa and a norton and a norton okay a couple nortons a chenny okay now i've never heard of a chenny yeah that was um a famous chassis builder in the uk and uh, eric cheney and he built chassis for so many different types of motors he built them for road racing um, off-road motocross flat track you name it and uh, probably one of the most famous chassis builders back in the day and uh, this one was built by built by them they're very rare so it's got a bs bsa um, 500 motor in it but it's punched out to like 680 it's had a probably a lot of motor work done to it. It's really a beautiful bike. It's um, really hard to describe. Wow. And, <clears throat> and most of these are road bikes, right? Most of them are, yeah, except for two. Now, this is a really interesting-looking Norton that you've got right here. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of uh, metal work down around the, the back wheel and some of that. It's a 1962 Norton 250 Jubilee Deluxe. It's yeah. just an interesting looking bike. Yeah, it is. It's uh, very unique. They didn't ship that many to the U.S. Uh, because, you know, the Japanese are already starting to make cheaper, probably uh, better, more reliable bikes already in the early 60s. So, uh, but they actually, they made them enclosed like this, the enclosed front fender and back fender. Um, a lot of people kind of jokingly call them the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. almost kind of look like the modern day scooters that you see running around, but yeah, not they, really. They built it like that um, for Great Britain because of how much rain and everything they okay. get. Uh, it kept the rider dry by being enclosed like that, but uh, it didn't go over very well in the U.S. because that's just a 250 and they're actually kind of heavy. And... Uh, twin cylinder and they didn't put out that that much power so um they they just didn't sell that many of them they also made a 650 version of them that was a lot more a lot more uh, popular okay but now you know how things go things that weren't cool back in the day are now oh yeah yeah that's that's kind of the way it always seems to go Mm mm-hmm 
Okay, well, while we're coming back down the ramp, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Now, as we come on around here, I notice that you've got a whole bunch of street bikes again that are more the Japanese-made, which is what I rode when I was in high school. You've got some Suzukis and Yamahas, uh, Hondas, and kind of a whole line of them here. Anything in particular about these other than they're all really nice shape? Do you restore all these yourself? Almost every one of these is original. They're original? Original. Some of them even have the original tires on them. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I prefer that. Um, and not only that, but I just don't have time to do full restorations anymore. So um, I really seek out what I, these are what I call survivors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I would say none of these are restored. None of these bikes. Wow. And they all are Japanese, but there's one very unique one here. Um, back in the maybe the 50s and 60s, um, all your big department stores, Sears, Montgomery Wards, Pennies, they all sold motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. And um, this is um, a bike... Here, it's a uh, Sears Allstate 250. It's called the Twingle, 1961. And uh, at least that's what people nicknamed them. It was actually made by Pooch in Austria. Okay. All those motorcycles that were sold by the department stores were all imported from Italy and Germany. So, um, and some from France as well. But this one here is uh, Original Survivor. Um, and what it was, was they called it a twingle because it was a single, single rod with two pistons on it. What? Yeah, it doesn't have, it's not a twin, um, it's a twin cylinder, but there's not two rods on the crank. There's only one rod, but the rod comes up and it goes into a T and two pistons are on it. Really? So it's a twin single. I have never heard of, of that type of an engine setup. Mm -hmm. Now, so both the pistons came up at the same time? Correct. Okay. Yeah, and they, they uh, run amazingly well, and uh, they're very cool. They don't vibrate like what you would think with two pistons coming up. Because yeah. It's got the same motion as a single cylinder. And you can see here the carburetor's coming in from the side. Okay. In their... Uh, what they call crankcase inductions, two-stroke, two-stroke motor. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So uh, very, very uh, unique. And I said that Sears sold it. We have a 1960-61 Sears catalog here, and there's the bike for $499. $499. Yeah. That's just amazing. It's amazing when you look at the old Sears catalogs, what all you could buy. I mean... They had everything. You could buy a house from Sears. Sure. You know, back in the day. New mail order guns. Yeah. You know, whatever you want. Everything. Uh, yeah. Was, back then, that was your go-to thing. And you get that new Sears catalog, everybody got excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I can remember when I was a kid, we used to get excited, but they weren't selling motorcycles. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they quit doing that. Actually, uh, I was born in '61, so I guess they were selling motorcycles, but I don't know if they were in '68. They were. Were they? They did until the early '70s. Well, then I guess I probably yeah. did see them. It just didn't register with me. Yeah, we used to love to go there and look at the motorcycles, but uh, they weren't anything we would have bought back in the day because we were off-road guys. Right. And this one here is this uh, the baby dream. I had a neighbor that had a Honda Dream. Yeah, that one's called, it's a 65 CA95, uh, called a 150 Bentley. And um, the Dream was a uh, 305. Okay. Same, it looked like it, just a big yeah. version of this. And uh, so they called this the Baby Dream. And the Dream had the balanced, really cool fenders and right. the enclosed fork and the balanced rear fender. Uh, various uh, chrome panels on the tank, so it was very. Uh, Honda did a really good job of making that look into a classy bike. Right. Yeah. No, it was a classy bike. And and uh, it was it was amazing as twin cylinder electric start even back in 1965. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then we um, look over here on the other side, and most of these are all dirt bikes. Mm -hmm. Those are some motocross bikes, uh, just various ones. It started out being European-only uh, bikes, but ended up putting some other brands, Can-Am, made in Canada, then a uh, little Yamaha 125, and then a Carabella made in Mexico. That's probably the prettiest. Oh, really? That's probably the prettiest bike in the whole little display here. And they all had such interesting names, like uh, Boltaco. And the Saks and the Husqvarna. And how do you pronounce this one? Pooch? Yeah. Well, that's the way I pronounce it. I think people say pook. Okay. Yeah. And um, they're the ones that made that motor in the Sears oh, Allstate. Right, right. Yeah. yeah I heard you mention that name. I just couldn't remember where we, where we had mentioned it. But yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of um, manufacture, uh, European manufacturers of dirt bikes. Uh, they were the ones who really started it, but then the Japanese took over by the early 70s. Then we got a, a few little enduro bikes over here. Hodaka is probably the most iconic uh, dirt bike from back in the 60s and early 70s. They pretty much started the Japanese trail bike craze Okay. back in the day. Wow. And they're all so beautiful. I mean, they're all just really nicely displayed. This museum is just nicely displayed. And well, beautiful thank, bikes. Thank you. Yeah, we, we try to not cram them too tight together where you can still see them. And uh, every bike has got a description, a little bit of story about the bike and generally about the manufacturer too. We we designed this museum to be educational. We just didn't want like a, a lot of museum, motorcycle museums you see around the country have this barn effect. Yeah. Where there's just spikes scattered everywhere and they may put a little thing, you know, a 1960 something on there, but that's about it. But it just doesn't tell you anything about the bike or the company that made it. And we wanted it to be a full experience when people come in here. So if they don't know anything about motorcycles, then they're going to leave knowing a lot more. But if you're like me and you owned one or two of these or, or were familiar with them at a point in time, 
you can get up close and look too. I mean, the way you've got them displayed, you can you can see everything that there is to see. They're not behind a, a barrier or anything else. Of course, you don't want to walk up on the stages where they're presented, but but you can stand here and see just about every detail from from any point on any of these bikes. Yeah, that's that's the way we wanted it. Of course, you know we were limited with space anyway, so but we did build these little platforms uh, not only to get them up a little bit higher where you could see them, but also as a barrier too. And it does. You're right. You're it, totally right. It gets you close enough where you can really see the details, but it makes you not want to touch them, which right, is which what we you prefer. Don't want them touched. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got a little uh, display here devoted to Steve McQueen, the king of cool, and he was a major motorcycle advocate uh, with with his riding. In fact, he was featured in uh, on any Sunday, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one of the financiers of the movie too. Oh, was he? Yeah, he okay. was that passionate about it. Yeah, and he he wrote a lot. And you've got this one is is this the uh, motorcycle from? Oh, I'm trying to think of what the name of the movie was. Uh, the Great Escape. The Great Escape. There we go. Yeah. Very, very famous, uh, iconic motorcycle. Uh, it's not. A, it's not a motorcycle movie. It's just got some really famous scenes in there. Well, yeah. When he's um, trying to get away from his prisoner of war camp, if I remember right, it was a long time ago that I saw the movie. But he escapes on on motorcycle just like this, or is this the one from? Oh, the <laughs> no. I, I wish it was the one. <laughs> Just yeah, ask. yeah, yeah. It would, would have sold it already and retired, but uh, no. This one here is a exact replica of the original bike that he rode in The Great Escape, okay. the one that they jumped over the barbed wire fence right. and everything, and he's running from the Germans. Um, neat little story about that is um, this bike is. Um, TT650 from back in the day, and it's a 1961 model. Well, when was World War II? 1944. Correct. <laughs> so, but the story behind it is <clears throat> that it would have been logical if they stole that motorcycle from the Germans, it would have been a BMW. Okay. Okay, because that's what the German army used back in the day. But McQueen... And his stunt rider, Bud Eakins, there's no way they're going to jump one of those old hardtail BMWs. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, the only way we're going to do this scene is with the bike with suspension. And uh, from what I understand, he says, uh, we can use one of mine. So they painted it all up, olive drab, made it look period correct. And this is the model and a bike that looked exactly like this that appeared in the movie. Okay. And that, and then uh, supposedly because of insurance uh, with the producers, they wouldn't let Steve make that jump. Oh. So we had a stunt double of Bud Eakins, who is a famous stunt writer, and his best friend back in the day uh, did that famous jump in there. But this one here is restored almost exactly, even with the same... Uh, little license plate on the top of the right. front fender you can uh there you can see it okay the one yeah. in the movie yeah. on okay. that picture he's got, a, he's got a picture on the wall of a shot that was probably taken on set correct yeah yeah so you can see the bikes are identical 
And yeah. so the person that did this did just an amazing job and did a lot of research. Same model. Cool. And then you've got some other pictures of Steve McQueen set up for racing on the front of Sports Illustrated. A uh, couple of posters from The Great Escape. And just a, a nice little display here. Correct. That is cool. Then we come down the back wall. What is the smoking Woody Woodpecker? He's got a bike here that says Jawa on the side. J-W-A. It's a single cylinder. Sits really close to the ground. It must be a flat tracker. It's a form of flat tracker. It's called Speedway. And uh, it generally is raced on a little bit shorter track than flat track. These bikes have... Um, Jawa used to be the dominant engine. They're built in the um, Czech Republic. Okay. In the Eastern Bloc back in the day. And uh, 500 cc's, alcohol burning, all no gears, all one, uh, Just, one gear. Wow. One speed. And uh, they race them side by side. Some of the craziest, most bravest riders ever race these speedway bikes all the way from back in um, probably the 1920s is when okay. it started and they're still doing it to these days. Wow. And um, they get, it's more popular in Europe, parts of Europe and Russia, Poland, uh, New Zealand. It's really big huh. over there. And uh, some of those places they would get um, 100, 150,000 uh, spectators. They'd, really? fill, they'd fill Wembley Stadium. That was the world championship every year was at Wembley in England. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you got to love the Speedway bikes. Um, I encourage anybody to Google that, Motorcycle Speedway Racing, and watch a couple YouTube videos. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. I was just watching. You've got a, a TV set up here that's running a video of lots of different races. They were just doing some ice racing, which is just <laughs> I, I, that, that's beyond my, my scope of even being able to figure that out. You know, they've got those big old spikes on their tires and racing around at high rates of speed on ice just seems dangerous as hell. Yeah. Uh, now they put guards around the front wheels, kind of bumpers. So if the guy goes down and the bike hits him, it'll uh, kind of bump him all the way instead of perforate him. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> But it didn't used to be that way. But the but it's still, if a bike one of those bikes goes over the top of you, you know, you'll be like a sprinkler, probably. Yeah. Squirting like a sprinkler. But um, no, that's totally insane. But they do it a lot up north. Uh, this one was actually an ice bike. Ice oh, bike, was it? And the guy that I bought it from took the ice tires off and put these on. Now the ice tires would have been interesting to be able to see up close, but. Uh, I've got a poster of one right here. Okay. Right there on that wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Right down by the by where those bathrooms are at the end of the hall, which the bathrooms are quite cool, too. You've got all those <laughs> little sayings in there and, and little posters and, and some pretty fun little things to look at. Thanks. And then over here uh, on the other side, you've got a section that's devoted to women uh, riders. Yes. Famous women, and a lot of them. Uh, we only touched the surface as far as um, all the famous uh, motorcycle women. 
throughout the years. A lot of them are in the AMA, American Motorcycle Association Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so we try to tell that story so people understand that uh, there's a lot of motorcycle pioneers that were women. Right. And, and back in the days when that wasn't, that was taboo. Right. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, especially uh, this lady right here. Um, she is the most amazing person on this wall, as far as I'm concerned. It's Bessie Stringfield. Okay. They called her the motorcycle queen of Miami. And uh, you can kind of read a little bit of. So she was her. born in Kingston, Jamaica, migrating to Boston when she was still young. At the age of 16, Bessie taught herself to ride her first motorcycle, a 1928 Indian Scout. In 1930, at the age of 19, she commenced traveling across the United States. She made seven more long-distance trips in the U.S., eventually riding through the 48 lower states, Europe, Brazil, and Haiti. During this time, she earned money from performing motorcycle stunts in carnival shows. Due to her skin color, Bessie was often denied accommodation while traveling, so she would sleep on her motorcycle at filling stations. Due to her sex, she was refused prizes in flat track races. During World War II, Bessie served as a civilian courier for the U.S. Army, carrying documents between domestic Army bases. She completed the rigorous training and rode her own blue 61-cubic-inch Harley-Davidson. During the four years she worked for the Army, she crossed the United States eight times. And in the 1950s, Bessie moved to Miami, Florida and founded the Iron Horse Motorcycle Club. Her skill and antics at motorcycle shows gained the attention of local press, leading to the nickname the Motorcycle Queen of Miami. Bessie is credited with breaking down barriers for both women and Jamaican-American motorcyclists in the 2000 American Motorcycle Association created the Bessie Stringfield Memorial Award to recognize outstanding achievement by a female motorcyclist. Bessie was inducted into the Motorcycle Association Hall of Fame in 2002. Dang, she had a life. Amazing. Yeah, across the United States, eight times. Yeah, and faced adversity wherever oh. she went. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure a lot of the early motorcycle women, just like a lot of the early uh, cattle women and stuff, you know, I mean, they were dressing different. They were behaving different and, and operating in a realm outside of theirs. I'm sure a lot of them faced a lot of adversity, but like it said, you know, doubly with her. Yeah, they were infringing in a man's world back in the day. Well, yeah. What was perceived as being, but uh, that's what most of these women here uh, probably faced, just about every one of them, but uh, it's just amazing. You can just read and read and read uh, about what these women accomplished. And, and some of the other the women day. that he has highlighted here is Pearl Hull, Margaret Wilson, Linda DeGau, and Dot Robinson, Mary McGee. So there were, there were quite a few of them. And, and it's amazing that Bessie was able to work for the military and, and all of the things that she did. Yeah, she was. She, uh, she must have... Uh been amazing person it would have been nice to meet her uh mary mcgee down here she's still around she's uh 
She's raced dirt bikes until just recent years. Oh, really? Yeah, she's uh, very amazing, and she was inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame in 2018. Wow. Yeah, so uh, she's, um, she's amazing, and she's still active in uh, motorcycle, mostly off-road, and, dirt and bikes. Was she racing against men? She must have been. I, I think, mean, I think did, so. did they have women's racing associations, or? Well, um, not back then. Yeah, so yeah. she would have had to have been racing against yeah. the men. Now, lately, uh, there are, um, in different types of racing in different parts of the country, they have women's motorcycle classes. Okay. Or, or, you know, that you can enter in. We used to, I don't, you know, they probably wouldn't like it these days, but back when I raced in the 70s and early 80s, we called it the powder puff class. Well, because they still call it that when you go to demolition derbies and some of that. Okay, well, that that's what it was, and that's what it was called. So, you know, maybe that that's still what they call it. I I don't know, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of women racing motocross back, back in when I raced. They just raced in their own class. Right. Um, so... But some of them probably could have beat us. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, and that's that's the thing that's kind of funny is, uh, you know, you divide it out into classes, and and I, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't even go down this road, but uh, you know, there's certain areas, uh, physical activities, and some of that, women maybe have a harder time competing with men. Let's say weightlifting and some of that, but in some of these other skills, like motorcycle riding, shooting, and some of those. It seems like women excel a lot of times, much to the dismay of men who think that it's a man's sport and we're the ones that should be doing it. You see that the women actually uh, can outperform the men in a lot of ways just because of the finesse they have. Yeah, and the concentration and, yeah. And probably being that it's a little bit more of a challenge because I'm on the bottom end here, I need to prove myself. Yeah. I would say there's. I don't, I don't know what all the reasons are, but but you just see it a lot. Yeah, for sure. And then you've got a little Honda Trail 90. Was that the most popular bike ever made? One of the uh, that was the uh, utility bike, first utility bike before they came up with three wheelers and now quads. Right. Um, that's what people would take on their campers, and they would take deer hunting. And uh, they made these big racks that would go on the back, and you could li literally um, throw a deer across there. You still see them on the back of motorhomes and some of that occasionally. But Those are so perfect because they made the handlebars so they folded down so you could put them on the back of your right. motorhome. And, uh, and uh, they're just, they have an extra uh, little gas tank, a little uh, about a half a gallon uh -huh. on them that's detachable and you can just go to the gas station, fill it up, and attach it. <laughs> you know, there's just very, very well thought out. They had a dual range gearbox, high and low. Right. So if you're climbing steep hills or stuff, you click it in low and it just went up like a little tractor. It just seems like, like back in the day you saw those things absolutely everywhere. Yeah, they're still really popular right now. Uh, people love those. College kids like them. Oh, Get, I'm getting sure. around campus. Yeah, they 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 like that old cool stuff. And then, what's the story with the Super Rat? That's Odaka. That's that um, probably the same as this little trail bike I showed you. Oh, okay. Over here, this the Super Rat was a motocross bike, 100 cc. 
it was very, very popular, and you saw those everywhere back in the day because they were real inexpensive. I think they probably sold for uh, probably four between four and five hundred dollars, okay. really fast, and um, they were. I think that they were the very first true race motocross bike okay. coming out of Japan. Out of Japan. But they were sold by a company, imported by a company in Oregon in a little tiny town, I think, called Bend, Oregon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, they, it was owned by a company called Pabatco, and that's what's on the logos on the tanks. Okay. And um, they lasted for quite a while. They were they were import of a lot of different products. So uh, if any guy that comes in that rode or raced dirt bike 60s, 70s, if you ask him what's the most iconic dirt bike in here, it's that one right there. That one right there. Everybody recognized the chrome tank. Okay. On those things. All so their know, tanks. And, and were the chrome. thing that's weird is is I grew up in Portland, Oregon, but I don't know that I've ever seen one of those. They had to be, I guarantee you, they were swarming up there. They had to have been. They had to, yeah. I'm beginning to think maybe I lived in some short sort of a little shell. Yeah, it's all original too, tires and everything. Wow. Uh, half these bikes up here on this stand are original survivors. Okay. Not restored. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing a dirt bike doesn't have scratches and bangs and dings and all that kind of stuff but they're all in extremely nice shape yeah even the tires yeah yeah people just parked them kept them under a shed away from rust this this gallery here is just absolutely gorgeous i love looking at these old bikes <laughs> i mean you know they've all got their their gas tanks and and seats and they're pretty basic but they're just all so pretty and and so well displayed. Now, do you have another gallery also? Yeah, I've got something over here in the corner we missed. Oh, well, let's not here. do that. <laughs> yeah, these are road racers. Oh, okay. Right here, these, uh, just a small display with three bikes. But uh, these are, these two right here, these two Yamahas are iconic. This one to the left is a... TZ750. It's a 750cc four-cylinder two-stroke road racing bike. Four-cylinder two-stroke. Yeah. That thing had to scream. Oh my gosh, yeah. They they had a hard time designing a tire that would handle all that power. They shred tires. Really? Yeah. They won uh, national and world champions. They won Daytona many years in a row. Um, so uh, these are super rare bikes because they only went they're only for racing right and that's it uh, and it looks like they've got massively large gas tanks on them uh maybe 15 gallon 10 15 gallon i don't they're know big probably under, all three of these probably have under 10 because they would take uh pit stops during that during those races and come in and uh but these we feel very fortunate to have that somebody loaned us that bike it runs, sounds really great. And this other one here is a um, another road racing bike. Um, a I believe it's called a TA125, and uh, it would have been made in the late 60s. And it was uh, built by one of the most famous 
uh, race builders back in the day called, his name is Don Vesco. He's out of Salt Lake City. Okay. And uh, this particular bike here was uh, raced by um, a guy named Travis Lemberg, and he raced it at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Okay. And also this bike uh, placed at the Bonneville, or, uh, sorry, Daytona 100 race. Really? Yeah, now, road now race. We've got a trophy sitting here. It says top uh, time motorcycle, A slash FMC, El Mirage Dry Lakes in California. And it says 209.302 miles an hour. So this thing went almost 210 miles an hour. Not this bike. Not this bike. What this is, this is um, uh, a friend of mine bought a lot of this memorabilia from the Vesco family because okay. Don Vesco okay. passed several years ago. In it, he got a bunch of Don's old trophies. Okay. This is Don Vesco's trophy where he set that record at the um, El Mirage okay. Dry Lakes, which is basically the same like uh, Bonneville, but in California. And how fast was this one going? Um, from what I understand, this little 125 went around 125 miles an hour. That's still pretty fast. It's very fast, especially on... I can't uh, even imagine being on a bike at 209 miles an hour, but I accidentally ended up at uh, Bonneville during Speed Week. Hmm. And while I was there, there was a guy on a motorcycle that I think they said did something like 325 miles an hour. And I was just floored that somebody would actually sit on a motorcycle at 300 miles an hour. It probably had the streamliner fairings on it, and it looked more like a... A rocket or something? Yeah, I, don't I, know. Know, I didn't. I wasn't able to see it. I know that the guy was sitting on it somehow or another. Yeah. But the distance from where the spectators are to where the actual race uh, track is is yeah. about 200 yards. So your your sight distance is quite a ways out there. But I just I can't even imagine being on a bike at, at 200 miles an hour. The wind resistance and some of that, like you said, you had to have fairings, especially and, on an unstable surface like that salt. Yeah. It would have to, you know, one little bump. And, uh, but um, Don Vesco was most famous for his Bonneville bikes. I believe he built one that went almost 400 miles an hour uh, back in the day with motorcycle engines in them. And uh, that's just unbelievable. I, I'm not a huge Bonneville uh, historian, so right. I'm just talking in general terms. But he's probably the most famous name uh, for motorcycles at the Bonneville, I would think, uh, if you look back in history. And a cool movie to watch, as long as we're talking about this, is The World's Fastest Indian. Have you seen that movie? Many times. <laughs> I love I that. Say, I don't know how you couldn't have seen it. <laughs> I love but, that movie. But The World's so Fastest Indian is just an awesome movie the whole way through. It is, and it's, um, from what I understand, they followed the original story pretty well. I mean, having uh, Anthony Hopkins as the actor really helped a lot too. He did an amazing job, but they, from what I understand, the the story they told was pretty dang accurate. Yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, when you're watching that and watching that guy build his own tires and build his own, uh, all of his own parts and that kind Pistons. of stuff. The guy was just, the guy was amazing. Yeah, this... Uh, yeah, that's um, a very iconic 
movie about uh, Indian motorcycles. And what's amazing is I think I've heard that one of his records still stands. I don't know. Uh, or it stood until just recent years wow. to go 200 miles an hour on a 1920-some motorcycle is pretty amazing. Yes, it is. Now, I've seen several of these Penton bikes. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of the Penton brand before either. Oh, wow. Um, they were probably the first really good dirt bike made, okay. period. Uh, a lot of your old uh, famous world champions, national champions, or mainly Americans, rode Pentons back in the day. Okay. They were so much better, and everybody is just two-stroke. They were essentially built by KTM okay. over there in Austria. And um, anyway, they they made them anywhere from 250 on down to 100 cc's. And uh, John Penton up in Ohio um, went over to Aust Austria looking for a company that could build these bikes for him and made a deal with the owner of, KTM at the time, the company was just right on the fringe of bankruptcy. Okay. And he showed them how to build these. Then they built the motors, and it ended up being one of the most popular bikes ever. Wow. So uh, now they're really rare. This is uh, what's called a 175 Jack Piner. The Jack Pine Enduro was one of the hugest, uh, biggest, most famous off-road races uh, back in probably through the 50s and 60s, 70s. Okay. And John Penton was a hugely successful racer back in the day. He won the Jack Pine Enduro several times. So they named uh, this the 175 model as the Jack Piner. Okay. And these right here are probably the most rare of the Pentons. Huh. Uh, along with that... Um, 68 model that's the very first year they, they yeah, you had them. a couple more in there on, on the wall yeah 68 was the first year so that that one they called the steel tanker and it's by far the the most uh, rare rare penton and there's a movie that i highly recommend called the john penton story okay uh you can, i think it's on amazon or netflix and um, any motorcycle enthusiast should really watch that movie because there's so much history not it's not just about penton and the penton bikes but right now ktm would not be in business as, as successful as they are if it wasn't for john penton huh yeah well that's cool yeah, yeah i'll have to i'll have to watch that it's a very cool i don't get a lot of movies watched but i'll have to definitely tune into that one yeah okay now we come into this gallery uh, it looks like you've kind of got a reading room set up with a couple of couches and some uh, coffee table type books and just a lot of pictures on the wall. You've got an old Schwinn Stingray bicycle in here. I, those, those were popular in the day. Everybody had them. But this looks like you've mostly got mini bikes in here, or the smaller uh, bikes that were super popular when I was a kid. Uh, my next door neighbor had a little Yamaha 80, and uh, I think a couple of the other neighbors had them, and the Honda over here, that Honda's a, a classic little bike. Uh, I don't even know how to describe them, but they were a little, what, 60 or 80, 50, 90? 50, they're called Z50s. 
Okay. Well, are you talking about the little red one? No, I'm talking about the blue one and then the yellow one over um, here. Yeah, the blue one's a 70, and then the yellow one's a 90. Yeah. And that one's a 50. That's probably the okay. most iconic Honda right there is the little Z50 hardtail. Okay. That's a 71 right there. That's, to me, those are the coolest Hondas ever. And then there are some a few Cushmans back there. Like what I was going to say, we, we started early. off talking about the Cushman and... Kind of coming back full circle. You've got what three, four, four of them here. You got the uh, Cushman. Oh, an Allstate sold by Sears, made by Cushman. Mm-hmm. And then a Cushman '60 Super Eagle. And then this here's another of the. Uh, oh, this one here's made by Pooch Daimler and sold by Sears. Correct. Wow. Yeah, yeah. these all had American-made, what they call Husky motors. Okay. In these bikes, and they were all made in the U.S. And that bike was totally made in in Austria, right there, by huh. Pooch Daimler. Wow. Yeah. And sold by Sears. Yeah, they just private labeled them. They this put, one's got the little cowling for your legs, and it's a very cool little bike. It is. It's yeah. a really neat. Little and it's scooter. got a a clutch and a shifter too. You know, all these others are automatics. Oh, okay. Yeah. So these are these could get going pretty good. Yeah, this is just really cool. I, I really like this display. And then you got your, what, what do we want to call that? Zombie rider or ghost rider? Or... His name's Charlie. His name's Charlie. Yeah, he's our mascot. <laughs> well, actually, this is our mascot right here. His name's Livingston. He's a mule deer that we bought up in uh, Livingston, Montana. Oh, okay. On a bike ride one time. He's our mascot. That must have been fun bringing him home on a bike. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we had the trailer with us, too. We had the trailer. <laughs> but, uh, no, this is uh, a 1958 Sportster. And a uh, good friend of ours found it in a barn up in New Mexico by Roswell. Okay. And um, gave it to us because... He added in his Harley dealer displayed with the skeleton on it. Okay. And so uh, we just adopted it, adopted him and the bike. It's really cool. Uh, it he, hasn't been restored. It's probably just exactly the way it was found in the garage. It's exactly the way it was. And it's, it's cool looking. Nothing's been changed on it. They even had a Area 51 oh. sticker on <laughs> it. Yeah. Yep, they do. And then... Um, you can see, this is a Sportster, not a light bike. Okay. But back then there were no dirt bikes. You turned whatever you had into a dirt bike if you wanted to ride off road, and you can tell they put the knobby on right. the back, knobbies front and back, and uh, took the mufflers off, put a little small headlight on the front, and went riding. So I, I would say that this bike probably spent the majority of its life in the desert. Yeah. Riding in the desert. Oh, it's just a cool display. Yeah. Just a really cool we display. We love it. Yeah. Well, Pat, I really appreciate you taking your time today, showing us through your museum and everything that you have to offer here. Do you guys have a website? We do. It's hcmotorheads.com. hcmotorheads.com. Or hillcountrymotorheads.com. Either one works. Okay. Yeah. And do you have a gallery that shows pictures of your museum here, or...? Yes, it's a pretty comprehensive website. Um, there's a lot of information on there, and then 
Um, we have a, a good presence on Facebook and also on Instagram. Okay, so too. people can find you all over the place. Sure, yeah, we're big into social media. It's, it's our primary uh, source for uh, getting the word out good. about the museum, and we post regularly. You know, every few days we're posting something new good. on there, keeping it fresh, and, and whenever we get a new bike to put in the museum, we always introduce it to everybody and so it gives people encouragement to come see okay yeah. this is this is awesome and it's it's such a nice uh museum displayed so nicely i just so appreciate you taking your time and i just turned around and i saw another <laughs> another little area here so now i'm sneaking back that's the workshop that's the workshop holy <laughs> smokes okay can, can i enter sure Okay. This is a VIP tour. <laughs> I, was re I was ready to close this thing down, but I just got sidetracked. <laughs> wow, you've got another 60 bikes in here. Yeah. All in different stages of, uh, of repair. Mm-hmm. Wow. And all of these will be on display at some point in time. Well, we rotate bikes in and out. We're kind of maxed on how much we can put in there. Uh, right now, we're trying to figure out how we're get, how we can expand and add uh, square footage to the museum. But for right now, we're kind of stuck with I think we have about uh, maybe 6,500 square feet, but we really need a lot more. Wow! Uh, for the bikes that we have. Yeah, but, you do, because now I'm seeing a whole lot more. <laughs> mm, yeah, there's a lot more, and there's a lot more than this. <laughs> and do you do most of your own restoration work, or do you farm it out? Well, that's what it's come out to lately. Like, um, I've, I've never painted. I'm not a painter. Okay. And I'm not a big uh, motor guy. You know, I can do general stuff, tune-ups, whatever. Uh, but if it's any kind of major motor work, I send it out. I do the cosmetic part. I strip them down. I detail them, polish Respoke the wheels, um, uh, change the tires out, put them back together. And how many years have you been doing this? Your whole life? I mean, it looks like you started young, but was that mostly riding, or was a lot of that mechanicing too? Well, no. Uh, well, you know, when you race motorcycles, you're a mechanic. You uh, learn your mechanical skills, right? By necessity. Yes. But um, I I started collecting in the early. I mean. Uh, mid 90s wow so going on 25 years ago is when i bought my first couple old dirt bikes mainly what i used to race i uh -huh. just wanted to restore it and kind of relive my past my youth right and uh it just turned into an obsession and it looks like um, an obsession well my wife calls it a sickness but it's <laughs> it's uh it's a good one you know it keeps me off the streets so yes well, and your um, wife seemed like she's enjoying this also. When we came yeah. in, she greeted us, super friendly, and uh, just seems like a real sweet lady. Yeah, she's 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 actually the face of the museum, okay. not me, because uh, she's here every day. Right. She's the one that does all the social media. Uh, she she's the administrator of the museum because. Um, I actually commute to the Dallas-Fort Worth area during the week, Tuesdays to Thursdays, because we have a business okay. there. So this is a hobby. This this is not a money-making 
thing. Right. Uh, this is a passion. And your and your entrance fees to your museum aren't terrible bad either. What, <laughs> no. what does it cost to get in here? Uh, seven bucks general admission, five dollars if you're a vet or a, a active duty or a first responder, a teacher, uh, over 65, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you're not making tons of money off of admissions, but... No, we, um, we say that the admissions pays the utilities, basically, and that's about it. Uh, everything else, we have to buy and sell bikes, which I do. Okay. Yeah, uh, like several of these bikes are being prepared to sell. Okay. In here, that this all three of the, both these up on the rack, this beautiful Kawasaki Triple is getting ready to be uh, advertised. So is this Honda, little 360 right here. And uh, quite a few of these bikes, I would say probably 20 of these bikes will be resold. Okay. Here, and that's how we pay the bills. Okay. Here. So if there's anybody out there that wants to be a donor, you're, you're more than happy to, to take donations and help out that way? or Sure, yeah. I mean, Or have a bike sitting in a garage that, uh, that maybe needs to go someplace and they don't want it trashed or whatever. That happens often. And uh, one thing else, too, is we've got a lot of people who contact us and say, um, I got my dad's bike here, my uncle's, husband's and um, don't know what to do with it, but I really don't want to get rid of it. Uh, can you display it in right. a museum? And if it's something unique and something people like to see, then we gladly uh, take it in. And then other people just want to sell their stuff. And so uh, it gives us access to quite a few really cool bikes just because we're a museum. Right. So that's kind of a silver lining as well Okay. here. So there's really no end to it, uh, all the bikes that are out there. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody says barn find, barn find. Those are hard to find. The ones that you go in and you find in a barn and you get it for 50 bucks. That don't happen anymore. No. Everybody knows what they're worth. And, and it looks to me like you do a good job of finding ones that are in awesome shape to begin with. Yeah, I can't really afford it. I, I don't take on major restorations right. I don't have the I could get bottlenecked for a couple months doing one where if it's bikes that just need minor cosmetics and cleaning up and whatever uh, new paint maybe they knock those out pretty fast and get them in the museum right yeah so I prefer ones that are totally intact you know like this little Suzuki 250 Enduro right, right here that thing's so beautiful and original that thing's going to clean up really nice. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that I've seen this part, I'm going to go ahead and close this down. I so appreciate cool. your time again and taking it with us. And the way I finish out is I say the world is full of wonder. People need to get out. They need to explore, see what's out here. There's so much to see, so much to do. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. Absolutely. All the road and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?